on Mark for a little while to cover uh, a topic that I've been meaning to cover and I've wanted us, been looking forward to doing for a while. So we're going to get back to Mark, I promise, but we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about something else. And so we have a new series this morning uh, we're calling our CFDNA. We're going to be looking at the mission, vision, and values of the church. So really what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is talking about everybody's favorite topic, themselves. We're going to talk about us. We're going to talk about who we are. We're going to talk about what is the purpose of the church. We're going to talk about how we will accomplish that purpose and what are some of the driving values we hold as we pursue accomplishing that purpose. So before we jump in, I want to make a distinction briefly between mission and vision because these things can get cloudy uh, and get kind of confusing over time. But mission, real simply, mission is what we do. The mission is what we do or our purpose. The vision is how we're going to do that, right? So the mission is, this is what we're going to accomplish. The vision is, here's how we're going to accomplish it. We're going to talk about this this morning, but the mission never changes. The mission is always the same. It might get stated differently, but ultimately it always remains the same. The vision is how we are going to accomplish the mission. That can change. That can change based on the people, based on the culture, based on the setting uh, the season we are in, that one's a little bit more fluid. That one has a little bit more uh, give to it. This morning, though, we're going to focus specifically on the mission. We're going to talk about the purpose and mission, first off, of Christians, but also, broadly speaking, the church. And then we're going to land on talking about what that looks like at CF. So that's our plan for this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump in. So please uh, pray with me. God, you are good. There is no one like you, no, not one. Lord, you are holy and just and pure. God, you have called us to many things. You have called us to be lights in this world. You have called us uh, to point people toward you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would grant us health of both body and mind, that we can love you with our whole strength, with everything that we are, and that we can follow you with everything that we are, that we can be these lights you have called us to be, that we can live into the mission and purpose you have called us to do. Lord, we thank you for being a God who calls us to mission, calls us to a purpose, but then is with us, does not leave us, does not forsake us, but is there with us, empowering us. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Matthew 28. Down in verse 16, one of, if you have a church background, this is one of the more famous passages of the Bible. Even if you don't have a church background, you might have heard of this before. Um, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I want to set the scene a little bit uh, before we actually jump into the text. So this is the end of, as you can see, the end of Matthew. Christ has died and he has risen from the grave, defeating sin and death and hell but he didn't just stop there, right? Like that's more than enough. And Jesus could have come back, you know, risen from the dead and then said, okay, I'm done. I think I've done more than enough. But he didn't just stop. He didn't relax. He kept doing what he has always been doing. 
He's loving. He's shepherding. He's caring for those around them. He's teaching truth to his disciples. Because he knew a time was coming when the disciples would be on their own. They would have to figure out how to continue to live as if they had been, as they had been. They had to continue to figure out how to live as if Christ was still physically present with them, even though he wouldn't be. They wouldn't actually be alone, though. They would have the Holy Spirit with them, God literally with them, in them, moving through them, guiding and directing and challenging and encouraging, convicting, rebuking, supporting, doing all of those things that the Holy Spirit does. Uh, On my phone, uh, when I'm driving around on my phone, I have one of those uh, GPS apps that calculates routes based on uh, traffic and construction and weather, and it gives you the best possible route on where to go, right? It it cuts away all of the downtime. Uh, And I use it all the time. Even when I'm going places, like I'm driving to my parents' house, like I use it all the time, even when I'm going places that I know where I'm going. I know totally the the route I want to take, but I use it all the time because this app shows me the issues before there are issues, right? It helps me to avoid some of the hard spots, some of the traffic. That's the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us and helping us to avoid the issues, encouraging and pointing us the best way possible. And it's when we ignore the Holy Spirit, or as they say in church, quench the Holy Spirit, we find ourselves stuck, spiritually speaking, bumper to bumper on the Kennedy with nowhere to go. Now, sometimes, though, you can put in a route into your GPS, and they can calculate and take in all the factors, and I'm trying to get out of traffic, but the GPS says there is no alternative here. This is what's the best for you. See, because the Holy Spirit, just because you become a Christian, it doesn't mean, okay, now I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, it's all sunshine and rainbows all the time, I'm going to avoid any problems at all costs. Sometimes we have to sit in traffic in our lives because that's what's best for us. The Holy Spirit sometimes says, you got to sit through this, but know that I'm still here. Yes, it's hard and messy, and that semi-truck just cut you off, but I'm with you. You are not alone in this. The Holy Spirit will guide you and instruct you and lead you. But like any good GPS, you still got to put in a destination. You got to be going somewhere, right? There's no point in me turning on the GPS on my phone if I'm not actually leaving the house. Why would we need the Holy Spirit in us if we didn't have somewhere to go, if we didn't have a purpose? The giving of the Holy Spirit by Jesus is proof that we are on mission, that we have a purpose as Christians. And that purpose is the Great Commission. So we see in verse 17, it says, they saw him and they worshiped him. You want to know what your purpose is? You want to hear from God? You want to hear God speak in your life? Come humbly before him, worshiping him, worshiping him. Because as we talked about last week, he is greater than anything and everything else. And Jesus sees them and he speaks and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is greater than everything else. Paul says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. All of it is mine. Which means whatever he's about to say, this commission he is about to send us on, it is not a suggestion, but a command. And he has the right and the power and the authority to do so because he has all power and rights and authority because it is all his. Power and authority can be scary, though, because power and authority in the wrong hands is dangerous and scary and ugly. But not so in the hands of Christ. Preacher, great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, Power in the hands of some people is dangerous. But power in the hands of Christ is blessed. Oh, let him have all power. Let him do what he will with it. For he cannot will anything but that which is right and just and true and good. See, when we read a command in Scripture from God, our flesh sometimes, we buck at that, right? We don't like to be told what to do. We want to rebel. It's part of the flesh in us. We want to find a loophole. We want to take a command from Scripture and say, yeah, but that doesn't actually apply to me in my situation. Or we say, that doesn't apply to our generation. That's a, that's a thing for back then, but it doesn't apply to us here. We try and find our way to get around them. We need to remember who our God is, that he is holy and just and right and pure and awesome and good. He is for us and not against us. He wants what's best for us. And so when he gives a command, he gives them ultimately for his glory, yes, but also for our good. And so we see in verse 19, Jesus tells the disciples and he tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It says, go, therefore. In light of the authority and power of Jesus, go. Do. This go can be read as you are going, as you are living, as you are moving, as you are working, as you are a student, as you are doing life. While doing that, while living the life you are living, make disciples. See, the purpose for the life you are leading right now is to make disciples. God has you where you are in whatever season you are in, whatever job, whatever neighborhood, whatever apartment building, school, family, friend group. You as a Christian are to make disciples in that space God has given to you because you are uniquely wired and made and gifted to be the presence of God among the people God has placed you. You are in the places you are in among the people you are among for a purpose. And I'll tell you how this plays out. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, how this plays out from my life. So I was, born, uh, I was born an asthmatic. I've had asthma my entire life. I've been the cool kid on the playground my entire life. Okay? 
So uh, I was adopted as a baby. Now everybody knows this. I was adopted as a baby by a fireman and a paramedic. Okay, Two people who are trained in how to deal with uh, emergency situations or stressful situations. Two people who are used to being able to be waking up be woken up at 3 a.m. by their son who is having an asthma attack, right? And they can, like, keep calm and just deal with it. But also two people who can train their son in how to deal and cope with his asthma attack so that he doesn't freak them out and he lets them sleep occasionally. Also, because of the jobs that they worked, they were highly cautious, we'll say that, highly cautious parents. I didn't get to cross the street until I was, like, 13, that's a true story. That's not an exaggeration. Okay, it's a lot of up and down on my block riding the bike. Because of their highly cautious nature and my health conditions, uh, they didn't want me to play what I call regular sports. Um, and so doing a little bit of research and realizing that you can train your lungs just like you can train any other part of your body, they realized that swimming, competitive swimming, the anaerobic uh, nature of having to deprive your body of oxygen can help train your lungs, as well as putting, uh, putting you into a fairly hot, humid pool can help um, with breathing. And so they enrolled me in swim classes, and they put me on a competitive swim team. During one of these practices, during one of these, uh, during practice, um, you know, over time, you build relationships with the other families, you build relationships with the other friends, and everybody kind of knows each other. And it was during practice that another family that was part of the swim team told my parents, about a youth group that their kids were going to at a church near our house that we had just moved into. And they invited my parents to come to that church, and they invited my parents to bring me to that youth group. And so because of that, I started going to that youth group, and I got mentored, and I got discipled, and I got taught about who God was. I made friendships in that place who have lasted me my entire life. I met my wife there. Everything, this right here, this is happening because I was in a church that allowed me to grow, that gave me opportunities to learn what are the gifts and talents God has given me, and they gave me freedom to explore those things. They gave me freedom to lead youth groups and to teach and to grow into this calling that God had put on my life. All of that happened because another family that was part of our swim team saw swim practice and thought past swim practice and into eternity. And as they were going, they shared truth with my parents. That's what it means to, as you are going, make disciples. As you are living, you make disciples. Every situation you are in, it is not happenstance. It is not a coincidence. It is not an accident. It is particularly designed by the God of all existence. Every interaction Every day at your job, every one of your kids' practices or performances, every Uber or Lyft ride has eternal significance to it. See, the Christian life is a lot of things, but boring isn't one of them. How can it possibly be boring knowing that your days are full of moments designed by God for you to share the truth that you know in a dark and sad and broken world? So as you are going... He says, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. This phrase, make disciples, is the actual only actual command in this sentence. The going, the baptizing, the teaching, those are all done to support the main command, which is make disciples. So what is a disciple? Literally, a disciple is a follower, a pupil, or an apprentice. 
One who, in our context, one who follows Jesus. One who learns from Jesus. One who takes what they've learned and live it out. Disciples are people who have a seriousness about following Jesus that makes itself manifest in how we see the world. How we spend our money. How we spend our time. How we treat others. How we work. So on and so forth. It changes our very perspective on every aspect of life. So how do we do this? How do we make disciples? Well, he already touched on the going. You have to actually be intentional to do it. We also see he talks about baptizing and teaching. Baptizing. So that's how you make disciples. So what that doesn't mean is you don't go hang out. You know, eventually summer's going to come in theory. Don't like just hang out by the outdoor pools in the city. And like when someone's not looking, you just dunk them under. Ha ha, now you are a disciple. That's not what we're doing. Partially because that's real weird. Baptism doesn't save you. Right? Baptism comes after salvation. It comes after knowing Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Baptism is a public declaration of your identity no longer being found in yourself, but being found in Christ. And just as Jesus died and was buried and rose from the grave, conquering sin and death and hell, we identify with Christ in his death and resurrection by going underwater and symbolically being washed clean as we come up. In baptism, what we are saying is the old me died. The old me is in the ground. That guy, that girl, that's not who I am anymore. I am new. My identity is no longer my own. My identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Baptism is a gift and a chance to identify with Christ in a public way and then also personally for your own walk to have this tangible experience of knowing what God has done for you. But again, it comes after knowing, after having this relationship with Jesus, after knowing and putting your faith in that fact that Jesus, that God came in the flesh. He came to earth to die on the cross for our sins, for our rebellion, to take the punishment we deserve to take so that anyone who would put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone would be forgiven and adopted into the family of God as a child of God. To be a disciple means you have been baptized. So if you are a Christian and you haven't been baptized, why not? What are you waiting for? Because this is a pretty clear command from Jesus here. So what's holding you back? Because practically speaking, we can do it any time. I'll fill that thing up. It takes about an hour. We can get that going. But what's holding you back? Because part of being a disciple is following the commands of Jesus. He says, be baptized. And so we baptize. But he also says in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I envision this when Jesus tells, gives this great commission to the disciples. I envision them standing around and like, yes, Jesus, baptize, teach, amen. That sounds awesome. And then Jesus gets out of earshot and they all start looking at each other and like, okay, has anyone taken notes on the last three years? Teach them all I have commanded you. That's a lot. Was anybody paying attention the whole time? Right? It's like you get ready for a final and you start going back through your notes and you realize it was like three weeks of lectures where you just weren't paying attention. I think that's what the disciples kind of had to wrestle with. I mean, think about who he is entrusting this responsibility to. Peter. 
weeks before this, told Jesus, hey, Jesus, your view of the Messiah is wrong. Just days before this, Peter denied knowing who Jesus was, and yet he tells Peter, Peter, I want you to go and make disciples. Baptize them and teach them what you know. Teach them what I have taught you. James and John. James and John, they were in a town that rejected Jesus, and they told Jesus, why don't you pray to God and rain down fire and wipe this town off the map? Those guys were a little impulsive, a little fiery, no pun intended. James and John, go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them what I have commanded you. Thomas is standing in this group. Thomas, who wouldn't believe that Jesus was resurrected until he actually got to put his fingers in the scars, who had his doubts and his worries the whole time. He says, Thomas, go make disciples. Go baptize. Go teach them what I have commanded you. These guys were not perfect. They didn't know, fully know or understand everything that was going on. Yet Jesus trusted them. He trusts us to make disciples. You can't wait until you think you have arrived at this ideal level of maturity and knowledge before you start making disciples. Because you're never going to get there. There's always more of God's grace and love and character to mine Always more of him to know deeper and deeper, more relationship with him to sink into. This part, the teaching all Jesus has commanded, this part of proclaiming all that he has commanded, this is where we tend to get a little overwhelmed, right? A little afraid, a little shy, a little nervous. What if I don't know enough? What if I don't say the right thing? What if this person I'm talking to ignores me or just flat out rejects me? Jesus was rejected, so it's going to happen to you. Let me just take care of that one right off the bat. And yes, sometimes you're going to get rejected, but also some people are going to accept Christ. Some will say yes. Some will become disciples. Some will grow and mature, and some will go on and share their story with others. But ultimately, it's about what God has done in them and what God is doing through them. You are called to go and share what you know. Tell your story. Tell what God has done in your life. God takes care of all of the saving. God takes care of all of the growing and maturing in that person. It's your responsibility to go and share. This command to make disciples, this is how God builds his church. This is the way it happens. Right? He already said, all authority has been given to me, which means this is how it's going to go. All authority is mine. This is how I say the church is going to get built. So this is how the church is going to get built. God's not going to fail at that. He is not going to let his church fail. And while God doesn't need us to make this happen, he invites us to be part of what he is doing. This purpose that we have, this mission that we are on, it reminds us that this Sunday service is not the main event. Sunday service gives us a chance to be together, to fellowship, to be filled up and restored and encouraged and challenged. It should get us moving and going out into the world to make disciples 
to pour out the filling up that we receive on a Sunday and getting to worship and pray and hear God's word opened and, and be together. This should fill us up to go and be outward focused. The main purpose of the Christian, of the individual Christian and of the church is outward focused. You don't have to have every answer to every question. In fact, it's good and you should that should spur you on in your own growth. The reality that the life of the the reality is the life of a disciple is one of constant learning and growing. And as you learn and grow, you repent, you turn away from things that God is teaching you that you need to let go of, the sins and the idolatries that you hold on to. You learn, you grow, you repent of those things, and you keep pursuing more of Him. And as you do that, He keeps revealing the things that we fall into. You repent of those, you keep pursuing Him. That's what a disciple does. Learning and growing and repenting and pursuing more and more of God. I think Jesus understands in the midst of all that has happened to the disciples in the last couple of hours from him dying, coming back from the dead, and now this great commission, he realizes the bigness of all of what he is commanding. I think it's why he puts the brackets on this that he does, right? He starts in verse 16 or 17. It was, remember, I'm in complete control over everything which means that this is what I want to happen, so it's going to happen, guys. Disciples are going to get made because that's how God has orchestrated things to work because he can do that because he is in complete control of all authority. And then he closes out this, the other bracket is this promise and reminder we see in verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, it means stop. It means pay attention. It means focus on what I'm about to tell you because you need, need, need to hear this. He is with you. This call to share your faith, this call to make disciples, to tell your story, to engage the world around you, to live in such a way where you have eternity on the brain, it's big and it can feel overwhelming, but you are not alone in it. He is with you. You have this same Holy Spirit that they did in you and through you, guiding and talking and pointing and encouraging, rebuking and teaching and speaking into you and through you. You are not ever alone if you have put your faith in Christ. Which means when you are at work, God is near you. God is in you, right? And that also means that when you are at work, God is near that coworker who doesn't know Jesus because you're there. So God is actually nearer to a lot of unbelievers than they could possibly ever know or admit because you are in their midst. You are not alone in this because God is with you and for you. And on top of that, he has given us the gift of the church. We get to do this together. We get to try and figure out how to make disciples together. We get to learn and grow together and challenge and encourage one another together. Now, I have not always done a good job of modeling this or equipping you for this. And that's something that I personally need to grow in, and it's something that we are going to do better at, something that we need to be more mindful of. We need this more in the forefront of our minds and our hearts than it already is. And so with that, I want to close and talk about us. I want to talk about CF. One of the great joys I have uh, of being part of this church is 
uh, when I tell people I'm the pastor of CF, the amount of people who have either come to this church for some amount of time, are related to somebody who came to this church, or are under a pastor or know a missionary that came through this church over the course of generations is amazing. I say it all the time, but we stand on the shoulders of generations of men and women who have been faithful to the gospel for a very, very long time. I've told some of you guys this. Next year is our 90-year anniversary as a church. 90 years. 90 years of God's faithfulness. We've been in this building for about 60 of those years. We've been in this building. Think about that for a second. Where we are sitting, where we are at right here. Think about the amount of people who have worshipped in this space. The amount of times scripture has been open and preached in this space. The amount of people who have come to meet Jesus in this space. The people who have been married, the funerals that have been preached here, the literally, I'm going to say, millions of prayers that have been baked into this room. We have a rich and long and deep history as a church. And because of that, we have the ability to look back and learn from our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and learn about how they pursued this mission of making disciples. Because like I said before, the mission does never change. Every church, every gospel-believing church has the same mission. Make disciples. It doesn't matter the year or the decade. It's what every Christian on mission is to do. Make disciples. So it makes sense then that the gatherings of those Christians, churches, should also be making disciples. So I've been digging through and going through old documents and reports from the past of CF. And there is this four-word phrase uh, that stood out as the mission statement of the church from the past. And I'd like to bring it back to be part of our present and going forward into our future. It's a four-word statement. It's go up on the screen in a second. Becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ. Becoming Christ-like. Proclaiming Christ. That has been the mission. Whether or not it's been explicitly stated, that's been the mission of CF for a long, long time. I want to read to you a passage about what, uh, where this idea came from uh, that I found in an old document. It says, Believing the call of God to become like Christ and to proclaim him is our greatest privilege and responsibility. It is our purpose, then, to equip people in the process of becoming like Christ and in proclaiming him among our families, friends, and acquaintances in our circles of influence throughout the world. To accomplish this, we will focus our worship, our preaching, our teaching, our fellowship, and our outreach toward motivating and training people to become Christ-like and to proclaim Christ. These four words really sum up what the Great Commission has to say, right? Becoming Christ-like. That's being a disciple being someone who seriously follows Jesus. And proclaiming Christ, that's sharing the gospel. That's sharing the good news, letting others know your story of God in your life, telling others, because that's the first step in seeing disciples be made. These four words help give us a clarity and remind us that it is this is what we're made to do. This is what CF is to be doing, to make disciples, to proclaim Christ, to make much of Jesus, to exalt Jesus. 
And I was going to wait until next year. I was going to wait to the 90th anniversary to, to bring this up. But actually, as I talk about history and talk about um, the past, I, I had a really good conversation this week, actually, with my predecessor, with Pastor Sergey, um, in talking about this. And he really just spoke a lot of good encouragement and wisdom into me um, that this is for us now. This is, this is who we are, and this is what needs to be on the forefront of our minds now. Because these four words speak not only to who we are as individual Christians, but what we're called to do. We each are called to grow in becoming Christ-like, pursuing him daily, pursuing him moment by moment, but also calling others to join in on that endeavor. We are to proclaim Christ, to make much of Jesus, to be the lights in the world that point others toward him, to point others toward a God who knows them and made them and loves them. This mission statement is a reminder that this is what we are to do, yes, as individuals, but also as a collective body. We are to encourage and equip one another to pursue this together. It gets us thinking and remembering that it's not just about the same people we see every week in the same building doing the same thing, sitting in the same seats. I know the fact that we brought the coffee in the back just rocked a lot of people's worlds. This mission statement has us thinking outward, has us thinking about as we are going, we are to be proclaiming. As we are going, we are to be growing in these things. We are to be becoming Christ-like. It's not just become Christ-like one time and then you're done. It's continuous over and over. We are constantly thinking about becoming Christ-like. We are constantly proclaiming. We are constantly thinking outward focused. It's a reminder to us that this is who you are made to be. This is the purpose that you have. Becoming Christ-like, proclaiming Christ is a way to not only tie us to the past of CF, but to keep us looking forward to what God is calling us to. What's what he has been calling us to as individuals since he adopted you as his child, to go and make disciples. That is the mission of the church. And so let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you God, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for, God, we thank you for making us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that uh, you're not done with us, that you are calling us to be part of something, to do something, to step into something. You have saved us with a purpose. You have saved us from hell, but to be a blessing to others, to make disciples, to share the good news that we have the truth that we know. Lord, help this reality. Help this call, this mission that you have put us on. Help that change the very way that we interact and see the world. That we don't disengage, but we see every interaction. We see every short conversation with a barista, every time we stand in line somewhere, every time we have the opportunity to engage with someone, Lord, we are thinking with eternity on our brains. That as we go, as we share, as we live this life that you have given us to live, we don't see it and take it for granted, but we see it as eternal opportunities with eternal repercussions. 
that we realize and we think about the fact that other people made us disciples. Other people had eternity on their minds in the conversations they had with us. Help us to do likewise for others. God, give us the boldness because it's easy to shy away from. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to shrink back from this. But God, give us the boldness to do this. Give us the courage. Give us the humility. Lord, and thank you for giving us the community to get to do this in. That we might spur one another on. We might help one another, equip one another, encourage and train one another, and just get to do this together. Lord, we thank you for the generations of men and women who have been faithful to the gospel, who have been faithful to your call in their lives, who have been faithful to seeing the gospel proclaimed in this neighborhood, from this building. Lord, help us to continue on that legacy that they left for us, which ultimately is just about you. It's about proclaiming you and making much of you. We're about to hit 90 years because of you. Because you are good and faithful and have given us this opportunity. Lord, help us to not waste this opportunity you have given us. To not shrink back from the call you have put on our lives to make disciples. To be lights in this world that point people to you, that make much of you. Because you are good and holy and just and righteous. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in the past. We thank you for what you are doing in us right now. And Lord, we thank you right now for what you're going to do in advance as we pursue this mission that you have called us to. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.